Arthur Brown Mysteries. Adventures in excitement and suspense, based on the best-selling novels by the slick storytelling sensation, Carter Brown. a score of odds for a harmless columnist who wanted nothing but to hang out of his popularity with the four million readers of his column, Dynamite with Johnny Lane. As if it wasn't enough to be kidnapped and forced to write statements libeling the chief of police and Senator Rowland, head of the vice investigation committee, statements which brought a two million dollar damage suit against my paper and just incidentally looked like putting me behind bars, as if that wasn't enough, I had to walk into the apartment of that heavenly hunk of humanity, Simone the Adagio dancer, only to find her partner, Simon, proposing to make a national hero out of me by murdering me. I sat there, hardly believing my eyes, as he slowly took off his tie. Just relax, Mr. Lane. It will be all over in a moment. <laughs> a tie makes such an excellent weapon for a man like me. You have seen our act, mine and Simone's, how I throw her across the stage. It's all in the wrists and fingers, you know. No, no, I didn't know. And the same thing applies to strangling is all in the wrists and fingers. So you took care of Albert Ferraro? No, of course. Just as I am going to take care of you. Ah, this situation is well in hand, I see, Simon. Simone! Well, my poor little Johnny. It seems that we shall never get around to having a quiet evening to ourselves. You're part of it too. But of course. You are just in time, Simone, for the climax. Yeah, just in time! No! <laughs> Oh, what do you know? I knocked them cold. I don't believe it. A rabbit like you. I don't believe it either. But I like it. Come here, baby. No, no. Yes, yes, baby. I don't know why I never thought of this before. What? What are you going to do? What no gentleman ever does to a lady. <laughs> For a moment, I just stood there, looking at the pair of them, laid out on the floor like fillets of fish on a slab. I didn't know what had come over me, but whatever it was, I was enjoying it. I employed my newfound personality in a number of phone calls, and half an hour later, the door opened and my ex-bodyguard, Tony Spencer, walked in. Well, Johnny, so you decided you couldn't get along without me after all. Well, you could put it that way. Actually, I called your boss, Mr. Rotts, because I need someone to look after a couple of people for me. You mean, bump them off? No, just keep an eye on them. Where are they? In the bath. Both of them? That's right. Do you mind if I go and take a look? Not at all. Help yourself. Thanks. I don't get this. Jumping catfish. Recognize them? It's that Adagio act. Uh, who tied them up and put them in the bath for you? I did. You? Me. I am a changed man since you last saw me. You know, I can almost believe it. There is something different about you. I've decided I'm really the masterful He-Man type. In fact, I've decided that I'm going to call Captain Stanger at police headquarters, get him to come over and take charge of these characters, and then you and I... Yes, John? You and I will go out for a little celebration, and I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm not saying no, Johnny. Your evening paper, Monsieur Lane. Oh, thanks, Jules. Here, Tommy, take a look at this. Right in the front page. But, Johnny, 
This says that you're going to prove that every allegation you made about Senator Rowland and the chief of police was true. Mm -hmm. And that you're going to do it tomorrow at the hearing of the investigation committee. Uh-huh. I thought I'd have trouble with my editor getting him to run that, but I convinced him that since the paper was being sued for two million bucks already, he may as well be hanged for a sheep as a lamb. Johnny, you're amazing. I think so, too. Oh, excuse me, Monsieur Lane. I could not help overhearing. Yeah? What is it, Joe? If you really intend to prove your accusations, Monsieur Lane, I think I can help you. Yeah? How? Huh. We are not immune to racketeers here. We have to pay our tribute to stay in business. But if you have the courage to defy them, I feel I should have the courage to support you. And I have receipts in my office that would interest you immensely. You have? If you could spare a few moments and come to my office, I will give them to you. Well, thanks, Jules. Thanks a lot. Uh, you'll excuse me, won't you, Tony? Well, there is no need why the young lady should not accompany us. Oh, okay. Come on, honey. This way, Monsieur Lane. Mademoiselle. Here we are. Please go in, Monsieur Lane. I have a gun at your back, and I would not like a corpse littering my corridor. Jules, what is this? Inside, Monsieur Lane. You too, Mademoiselle. Hello, Johnny. Thelma. That's right. Pleased to see me? And two words, no. Thelma, it is true. What it says in his column, he threatens to prove his accusation. The accusations you made me right, baby. I wish you'd kept your nose out, Johnny. If Simon hadn't bungled his job, you'd have been dead before you could have written that. Yeah, but he did bungle his job. And he's now tucked away quietly waiting for the inquiry to start tomorrow when he's going to do a little talking. But you're going to tell us where to find him. I don't think I am. <laughs> That's one for the books. Johnny Lane, a top guy. You're a lily, Johnny. Or you'd faint if anyone swatted a fly in front of you. <laughs> Would I? <laughs> go on. Let her go or shoot. No, you won't. <laughs> nice work, Tony. <laughs> Would you like me to break his arm, Johnny? No. Not yet, honey. Now then, I'm at the business end of the gun. I'll have a few answers. You, Jules, where do you fit in? You're the leader of the opposition that Simon told me about, huh? Yes, I, I handled the distribution angle for Roland for a long time, but... Uh, it, it, Got too good, as far as he was concerned. He switched some of it to Lou Prager at the Blue Diamond. My takings were cut by half. Then when Thelma came along and put me in the picture, I thought it was time I did something. You'll do something, all right. A nice long stretch. As for you, Thelma, you'll fry. What are you talking about? The Ferraro killing. The nylon stocking that strangled him was a sure clue that a woman killed him. It's a lie. I never killed him. It was Simon. Well, I think he'll say it was you. And his partner, Simone, will back him up. That's two to one. But I didn't kill him, I swear it. Oh, I believe you. I know Simon did it. He likes strangling. But I don't think anyone else will believe you. Johnny, I'll talk. I'll tell you everything I know about the senator and about O'Byrne, but don't send me up on a murder rap. I'll talk, Johnny, I'll talk. It was quite a scene in the courtroom next morning. A crowd packed the public benches, and up on the platform sat the investigation committee, headed by Senator Rowland. An imposing figure, gray-haired, substantial, the complete picture of an honest, straightforward American politician. He made his opening speech, a blend of fancy platitudes and phony patriotism. Then he got around to me. The chief protagonist of the accusations made against the committee, and in particular against the chief of police of Byrne, is here today. And so this committee has decided that in the interests of justice, this matter should be dealt with first of all. 
I hereby call John Lane to appear before the committee. Have you a lawyer, Mr. Lane? You're entitled to legal advice. I don't need any, thanks. Very well. You are John Lane. Yes. You're employed as a journalist. A columnist. That's one step up or down, depending how you feel about it. <laughs> certain statements have appeared in your column, and as a result of them, certain writs have been issued against your newspaper and yourself for damages for libel. Is that correct? I understand, so. Then, Mr. Lane, you will agree that these statements of yours are either true or false. Naturally. If they are false, I'm wasting the committee's time in questioning you. Presumably. And if they are true, it's then up to you to prove it. Quite. Very good, Mr. Lane. How do you propose to do that? I'd like to ask some questions, if I may. To whom do you wish to address your questions? To the chief of police, to you, Senator, and various other people. Uh, very well. You may call whom you please, Mr. Lane. Thank you. I'd like to call Chief of Police Michael O'Byrne. Chief, I'm not too good on formal procedure, so I guess we can take it as read that you're Chief of Police and your name is Michael O'Byrne. Very well. Chief, how much do you earn a year? Senator, do I have to answer that question? It's public knowledge, Chief. Anyone can find out by reading the city ordinances. Your salary is $10,000 a year. Well, if you know, why ask? And you earn $10,000 a year. Yes. No more? Of course not. Does your wife work? No. Mr. Lynn, we have not unlimited time. I'm afraid I don't see the point of these questions. You will, Senator. Now, Chief, if your income is $10,000 a year and your wife doesn't work... How is your wife able to deposit $2,000 a month into her bank account? It's a lie! Not according to this statement obtained from the manager of a bank by Captain Stanger of the police department. According to this statement, your wife has at the moment a total of some $28,000 in her account and $2,000 are paid in regularly on the eighth day of every month. The deposits are made by a Mr. Smith. <laughs> Mr. Lane, there's probably some quite simple explanation of this. I cannot tolerate the chief being put through the hoop just for the sake of satisfying your craving for publicity. Very well, Senator. I'm prepared to waive any further questioning of the chief of police. Instead, I'd like to call Thelma Radley. What? If you look, you'll see her coming in now together with three people who are here to prove my statements. Will Miss Radley step forward, please? With pleasure. Tell me, you wouldn't do this. Wouldn't I? My name is Thelma Radley, and until six weeks ago, I lived in an apartment on Dane Street, which was wholly maintained by Senator Rowland. During the previous six months when I was with him, he made me his confidant concerning many of his business affairs. I learned that he controlled the vice records of this city. The chief of police was paid $2,000 a month to cooperate with Roland and leave the rackets alone, and... This investigation committee is postponed indefinitely. Captain Stanger, you're ordered to the arrest of chief of police and with him, Senator Roland. Charges will be preferred later. And get them out of here, fast, before they get lynched. Johnny, you were wonderful. You think so, Tony? Oh, yes. The way you handle things in that courtroom. Why, they ought to make you district attorney. Hey, that might be a bad idea at that. I don't see why I shouldn't run for DA. I've got a better proposition. Yeah? What? How'd you like to be my bodyguard permanently? Miss Spencer, is this a proposal of marriage? Uh-huh. What do you say? No. I was afraid of that. I hate to do this, Johnny, 
but I've made up my mind. Quit! Don't worry, honey. By the time you come to, it'll be all over. And you'll like it. That's a promise. This is Carter Brown. You know, there are some stories that you get a real kick out of writing. Call for a Columnist was one of them. I only hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Next week, I'll be back to present another of my books for you. This one is called Assignment Trouble, and it has an Australian background combining journalism and public relations. The combination which is just plain murder. So for now, this is Carter Brown saying, be seeing you, I hope. columnist you heard Wendy Playfair as Tony and as Johnny Lane you heard our star Joe McCormick. The Carter Brown Mystery Theatre from the best-selling novels by Carter Brown is dramatized and directed by Maurice Travers for Grace Gibson Radio Productions.